Hello, my name is Gleb. I live in London and I run a C++ study group at work. In our weekly meetings, I talk about C++ news and anything related to C++. The meetings have been going on for a while and have their own numbering. You can find the notes at cppclub.uk. This podcast and the meeting notes contain public information only. This is podcast episode number two for the meeting number 127 that happened on the 22nd of April 2021. Bazel is Google's very scalable and fast build system. Uh, it's cross-platform. It supports C++ and other languages. Bazel only rebuilds what is necessary with advanced local and distributed caching, optimized dependency analysis and parallel execution, you get fast and incremental builds. Visual Studio 2022 announced. Microsoft announced the next version of Visual Studio 2022 on their blog. The first public preview will be released this summer. And the main highlights are Visual Studio is now 64-bit. Yay! Reddit seems to be excited about it as well. Presumably they're going to migrate all their internal servers and such to 64-bit to for them to be able to be hosted in the new IDE. Or we discussed a blog post by the authors of um, uh, Visual Assist X, which is a plugin to Microsoft Visual Studio that enhances IntelliSense and provides other nice features for C++ developers. And they were explaining uh, what kinds of hoops they had to jump through to make their plugin work by, while being hosted by a 32-bit IDE. It was not trivial what they had to do because they needed so much more memory to be responsive and to be able to load big projects. So I guess at least they would be glad to see that. One of their showcase videos in the blog post is Visual Studio 2022 loading a huge project and with 300,000 files. So yeah, there will also be a refreshed user interface, some new icons, yay. By the way, as you can see, this save icon is still a floppy disk. I mean, the new developers just starting their careers probably don't even know what that means. It's a fossil. Another new thing is a new coding font. You might have heard about it. It's uh, available outside Visual Studio and you can download and use it. It's very readable. It's an acquired taste. Uh, the shapes are a bit unusual. And there also are no italics. Uh, which in Visual Studio, I guess, it's not a big deal, but it's a very nice font. There is an open issue uh, on GitHub where the development of this font happens to provide italic version. It's it's a long-standing issue, and hopefully they will address it at some point. There's also support for new C++ 20 features, and interestingly, they are keeping it its runtime backwards compatible, so that migrating to it would be easier for big companies, I guess. Some Redditors are not happy about it. Like this one writes, 
I'm rather worried about ancient bugs that are not going to be fixed at least until 2025 now because of this. Interestingly, there is a reply to it from none other than STL, Stefan T. Loverwade uh, from Microsoft, who says, we used to break ABI every major release. It was awesome for development. I was able to fix so many bugs. Lots of customers had trouble keeping up though which led to them sticking to really old VS releases like VS 2010 for years and years helping nobody. Keeping ABI compatibility in, in the 15, 17, 19, 22 release series makes development harder, but has allowed customers to continuously upgrade, which is an improvement. I hope that when we finally have time to do V next, we can establish customer expectations for long but not infinite periods of ABI stability, followed by periodic migrations, as we'll always be learning better implementation techniques and we'll need ABI breaks to establish a solid foundation for the future. From my own experience, the binary compatibility certainly makes life much easier. Other features include integrated support for Windows subsystem for Linux, CMake, and plain Linux. There are some remote debugging features available in Visual Studio 2019 already, but this presumably will be even better. Artificial intelligence, machine learning enhanced IntelliSense. Just recently in one of the updates to 2019, they've made it possible for, for the ML-based IntelliSense to learn on your own uh, code base, while previously it was only uh, learning what was available in the provided supplied libraries, like standard library. So now IntelliSense should be even more intelligent, hopefully. And also built-in support for Git and GitHub. So that's overall very good news. The preview version should be available this summer. Next, we have all C++ 20 core language features with examples. Alexander Kaval wrote an article describing all C++ 20 features with examples. He says, I wanted to learn about new C++ 20 language features and to have a brief summary for all of them on a single page. So I decided to read all proposals and create this cheat sheet that explains and demonstrates each feature. It looks like an excellent overview, a brief summary of what's new in C++ 20, and the examples seem like a very good idea. I'm definitely adding this at the top of my reading list, or stack even. The Reddit thread about it has a few useful links, like a similar uh, list of features in C++ 17 with Tony tables. Tony tables are short before and after code snippets invented uh, by Tony Van Erd, uh, the author of this, hence the name. I've noticed that more and more C++ standard proposals include Tony tables for their proposed features, which is a nice, almost unspoken standard thing to do. Next, we have C++ 20 range adapters and range factories. Barry Revzin writes, Ranges in C++20 introduces with it a bunch of range adapters, basically algorithms that take one or more ranges and return a new adapted range, and range factories, algorithms that return a range but without a range as input. All of these algorithms 
have several important properties, and I found that it's a bit difficult to actually determine what those properties are just by looking at the standard, so I'm hoping to make this post serve as that reference. Another useful reference type post. He proceeds with listing range types and their properties, which include range reference type, returned by operator star, and traversal category, input, forward, bidirectional, random access, and contiguous. He also explains the following range types. Common, when begin R and end R, with R for a range, return the same type. Starting with C++20, the Sentinel type, that what is returned by end, can be different, of different type. Uh, sized, when the range has big O of 1, constant speed, member function size. Constiterable, can it be iterated with a const object of the range type? It's not the case for all C++20 ranges. And lastly, borrowed. A borrowed range guarantees that an iterator into a destroyed range does not dangle. I wonder if borrowed is an official term. I think it's more of a Rustian term, but um, I guess it works here. Barry revs in, revs in then documents range factories. Empty view, single, iota, iStream view, and range adapters, filter, transform, take, take while, drop, drop while, join, split, common, reverse, and elements, keys, and values. For each of those, he describes what uh, this is and provides a code example. So yeah, another reference to be bookmarked. Next, we have a Redditor writing I'm a third-year undergrad student, and I just landed a position at a company as a C++ developer. I have been using C++ for a while for academic and personal projects, but I'm wondering if there are certain things I should know about the industry standard in programming that I may be unprepared for. Any pointers you would like to give to someone starting out? Some advice from this thread includes these pearls. Well, to be honest, most of them are, are quite good, but uh, some of them are amusing, like these two. Write self-documented code. Too many C++ programmers are scared to type more than one letter variables. The next one. Self-documenting code does not exist. Comment your code. Learn to properly touch type. I admit that I can't properly touch type, as, as do many other commenters. Uh, write tests, but don't create a Google mock straitjacket. I didn't even know that thing existed. Apparently, what it is, is where the code base takes every or almost every function and describes all of the paths that function can take in Google mock. That sounds horrible. I've seen it where the test says things like, A will be called twice, B will return this value, C will be called thrice. Uh, it sounds like a nightmare supporting this code base like that. I can imagine something like that being done in NASA for a Mars rover or for some medical piece of medical equipment. Other advice includes identify the people you should listen to. That's, in my opinion, a very useful one. White space is free. This is not the 70s. Use it. Keep the coding style of the file you're in. 
Don't C++ just for the sake of it. Scripting is your friend in many tooling areas. That's an interesting use of C++ as a verb. Must adopt. Read Effective C++ by Scott Myers. Always be looking at ways to speed up the build. This is so true. Use Clang Format and Clang Tidy. Use Sanitizers. Develop relationships with both developers and business domain experts at work. Study up on templates. Learn the standard library, move semantics, RVO, shared pointers. If you use const everywhere, it makes code a lot easier to think about. Build small learning projects to reinforce your knowledge. And the last one, there will never be a time in your career when you are done learning. In this field, you are forever a student. I like that one. Next, we have an article called Writing Interfaces Stay True in Booleans. Radek Witt writes, when faced with passing multiple options as arguments to functions, C++ programmers will use enum class without much hesitation. Since C++11, it feels like we have moved away from magic numbers and magic string values, and in most cases it's for the best. There seems to be one exception, when we only have two options to choose from. Here I will try to convince you to stop overusing bools that don't convey true-false or yes and no. He then comes up with the following advice. If you read out the function call with its arguments, bool arguments and return values must be able to be substituted with true-false or yes-no. The example it, uh, he gives is show window when boolean is not actually boolean but a way to choose between uh, some other options. That's not good. If you had a function called, for example, set done, boolean done, then if you call it foo set done true, it's obvious what that means. But if you have a window open mode, foreground and background, and one of them is true and another false, and you say show window true, it's not obvious what that means. From my own experience, I can add that combining Boolean parameters with default values is a recipe for disaster due to implicit conversions of erroneously placed arguments to Booleans. In one API, we had a bunch of default Booleans that were defaulting to true, and some new code called that API with a, an additional parameter being a pointer or something, and it obviously converted to true and... Uh, <laughs> was causing all kinds of havoc. The Reddit thread suggests some more alternatives like bitmasks and builder pattern. This one says, I like making builder options class for cases like this so that you can call make tea with some default L gray and then dot with milk and dot with leave tea bag in and stuff like that. An alternative would be to have a, a struct uh, with the fields that you want to initialize and then have it as a parameter for your function. And that would give you something resembling uh, named parameters uh, that are not available in C++, but you can sort of mimic them. I think it something happened uh, maybe in C++ 17 that made it easier to use or fixed some issue, maybe with aggregate initialization or something. Of course, 
proper named arguments could also help here. There is a proposal to that extent, which is called self-explanatory function arguments by someone from CERN. Basically, it's a feature of the language that is ignored by the compiler. Those uh, sort of labels will be totally ignored by the compiler, so no new backend anything is required, but it would provide some uh, clarity in, thing, in, in calls like this. So this proposal specifically says, please don't assume that you know what this paper is about, unless you've read the other paper. Uh, several people have invested time in discussing the feature and make it reasonable. Basically, he says, I'm almost certain you haven't seen this before. And he suggests to allow the naming of arguments in regular index-based function calls, but ignore them from the standards point of view. So that would not affect ABI in any way. Speaking of other languages, Metalang99, full-blown preprocessor metaprogramming for pure C. What C needs is a more macros, said nobody ever, except this guy. He writes, Metalang99 is a functional language aimed at full-blown C99 preprocessor metaprogramming. It features a wide range of concepts, including algebraic data types, control flow operators, collections, recursion, and auto-currying to develop both small and complex metaprograms painlessly. The most amusing word in this quote is obviously painlessly. I've only included, for the ho uh, included this for, for the horror value of it. There's nice documentation. The Metalang 99 standard library. Basically, everything is macros. There's a GitHub repository with an appropriate quote from Darth Sidious, a Star Wars character, a bad guy. The dark side of the force is a pathway to many abilities, some, of, some considered to be unnatural. But wait, that's not all. <laughs> there is also data type 99 implemented using the above library. It's safe, intuitive sum types with exhaustive pattern matching and compile time introspection facilities. It requires C99 or C11 and a lot of macros. This is macro level wizardry level 80. Enough horrors. Next is a modern C++ result type based on Swift Rust. Well, when I say enough horrors. <laughs> a Redditor writes, Hey everyone, I created a C++ result monad type with functional functionalities and behaviors much like Swift or Rust equivalent result type. It's header only, C++11 MIT license, zero overhead, supports Constexpa, optimizes very well. There's a GitHub tutorial, uh, a GitHub um, repository and a tutorial. He says, initially the library was based on this stead expected proposal, but it grew over time. The main differences from stead expected are support for monadic operations, support for reference result types, the result type is marked no discard to make sure the result is not ignored. And uh, an arguably better naming. With std expected, you have to expect unexpected. And result name is less confusing. 
athletes by Vicente Botet uh, from Nokia and J.F. Bastian from Apple. I think he's no longer at Apple, by the way. He's doing something else. The Reddit thread also mentioned libraries like AppSale Status Or. The properties of this is it's not generic over error type. It only uses the AppSale error type or status code or something. And it doesn't have monadic operations. The other very well known is Boost Outcome by Niall Douglas. It's more complex, has more customization points. It's very well reviewed and is being constantly supported. Niall Douglas has these pages. This outcome documents differences uh, with pr the proposed that expected. And also, why doesn't outcome duplicate stood expected design? So all these motivations are there. It's a pretty big library. It can be used with or without exceptions and um, supports various features. I especially liked uh, the comment in the Reddit thread by Dean Roddy. The vast majority of code doesn't care what failed. It wants to just clean and pass the error upstream with minimal hassles. Exceptions plus RAAI do that perfectly. Manual error handling is never as clean, no matter how much syntactical sugar you pour in on it. In actual fact, very, very little code in a system should end up actually handling errors in any specific way, because generally only the highest level code understands the context and consequences of a failure. And exceptions also work very well for that. As I play around with Rust, I spend an inordinate amount of time dealing with error return related silliness in code that doesn't care in the slightest what happened. Judging by the reply thread, people disagreeing with this comment usually come from embedded background where exceptions are often prohibited. Boost version 176 was released. The release page has all the details with all the updated libraries. And that's all I shall say about that. Boost is a great set of libraries. Use it, but be careful as it can be quite a heavyweight dependency. That wasn't a quote. Right, I think that's all for today. And I'll leave you with this tweet by Manisha. She overheard, changing random stuff until your program works is bad coding practice, but if you do it fast enough, it's machine learning. And with that, thank you for coming and I'll hopefully talk to you next week. Bye.